Now, um, you're going to want to turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Last week, we covered Jeremiah chapter 2, and we started in Jeremiah chapter... We, we got through the first five verses of Jeremiah chapter 3. We're actually going to reread those five verses to get some context for the rest of chapter 3. But I was just thinking about this in context of a, a trip that I took to Romania several years ago that the church, was, the church sent, sent some of us on. And Romania, in many ways, the, the people in Romania would call themselves, would describe themselves, many, many, many of them would describe themselves as Christian. But for them, for, for only a few of them, that really means something. For most of them, what it means is it's a cultural or a political or a national identifier. So if you're from Romania, you're a Christian. And maybe there's some rituals and other things that you, that you do. But it's, it's not really a life transformational. It's just, it's an identifier. You identify as, I'm Romanian, I'm Christian. The Beacons right now are missionaries there in Croatia. They've got a similar kind of situation where they're coming in and they're, they're coming into a very, in many ways, a very, very secular country, but people still identify themselves as Christian. And so when these, when these pastors that I was visiting in Romania, they said they didn't get the identifier Christian necessarily. They got a different kind of identifier when they came in, a different descriptive word, and the descriptive word was repenters. They were called by the people around them repenters. Now that's interesting. That, 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 that is the identifying word that describes this group of believers, that it shows that they are, there's a transformation, there's a change, that they're willing to say no to a past life and say yes to God in a new life that he's given them. They're, they're, they're willing to say, I have sinned, I have done wrong, and I'm going to change and I'm going to do right. What a, I, I would love if actually our church were, were understood by our community and by our culture as the repenters. And that's what we're going to look at. It's our theme in Jeremiah is a call. God is going to call again and again Israel to return, to return to him. He's going to call them to repent. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at the call to repent. What it says about who God is, who we are, and what that repentance, what that call to return really looks like. So let's just take a minute and go to the God in prayer. Father, I just want to ask you that you will send your spirit into our midst this morning and that you will take the unplowed and the hard soil that is often our hearts, and that you will dig it up. You will plow it up. You will find and you will locate the, the weeds and the rocks and the hard places, and you'll dig them up, God. We need you to soften our hearts. We need you to, to change us. We need your grace, and we need it by the Spirit. Thank you, God, that you, when, when we return, you forgive our sins, and you, you bring us back to yourself but we need your grace to even cause us to want that and to begin with. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. We trust you to do the work you want to through your word spoken through Jeremiah. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, Jeremiah chapter 3. And I've got four points here. And the first one I just want us, I want us to see is that God's love is radical. God's love is radical. I want us to see how this works out. We, we can find, kind of think, yeah, God's love. God, God's got a great love. But I want us to see in Jeremiah just how incredibly radical his love is. But before we get there, the way that we get there is that we need to understand, first of all, 
that his love is set in contrast to our sin. His faithfulness is set in contrast to our faithlessness. So the first part of the good news is the bad news, which is this, that our sin is repulsive. Our sin is repulsive. Let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's read this. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up at the barren heights and see. Is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend, and from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. We'll pause right there. I'm, I actually am a little embarrassed to even read some of that. That's some strong, descriptive language, isn't it? And what God is saying to Israel is he's saying, you are like a wife who has abandoned your husband to find as many lovers as she could. That's the, that's the lens by which Jeremiah, by which God, is presenting the sin to Israel. That's how repulsive it's supposed to look. That's what sin is. Sin is an abandonment of God chasing after these other idols that, have, that are abusive to us, that harm us, that hurt us, just like Israel's idols and the other powers that they faced abused and harmed them. And God says it, it's, it's so offensive. It's, as, it's that offensive, right? It's, that's strong language, isn't it? But it gets worse. It gets worse. He says, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. So again, just a little background here. We've got... At this point in Israel's history, the kingdom is split. We've got the northern kingdom, Israel, and they have been, the northern kingdom of Israel has been in exile. They have turned away from God again and again and again and again. There is an unmitigated string of bad kings that led Israel away from God, and the people followed right with them. And so they have already been in exile for a while. Meanwhile, Judah is holding on, and it's got some good kings. Actually, Josiah being one of the good kings. So Israel goes off into exile. They're conquered because of their sin. And Judah sees this and sees what happens to Israel and doesn't, doesn't change, right? Let's keep going. I saw I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. So here we have these string of sins, right? Sin as, as um, abandonment, as, as treachery even. And it's that offensive, and yet there's no shame in it. 
we read before, you, you did all these things, but you had this brazen look on your face. Like it doesn't even matter. And then you combined it with sweet talk. Oh, you know, my father, my friend from my youth. In other words, and that's, this doesn't make it better because it's combined with doing all the evil that Israel could. And so it's, it's a double treachery. It's, I'm going to talk sweetly to your face. I'm going to say everything's good, everything's all right, and then I'm going to go do all the evil I can. Do you see the treachery in Israel's sin? There's no shame in it. And then again, Judah sees this. She sees the negative consequences. She sees the judgment that's come in Israel, and Judah doesn't even change. They only change in pretense. It's only a surface change. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So our sin is repulsive. It's repulsive. Nevertheless, here's what God says. Go proclaim this message toward the north, towards the, toward, towards the kingdom that has gone away from me. Again and again and again, here's what God says. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer. For I am faithful, declares the Lord, and I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God, and you have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree, and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. So, so God says, return to me. Even though you've done all this again and again and again, God still calls out, return to me. God still wants them to come back. God is still willing to say, only acknowledge your guilt, and I'll bring you back into the land. Now, I want us to see how radical that love is. I'm a pastor, so sometimes I, I go to different service people, and, and they know that I'm a pastor, and so they tell me about their lives, right? So there's, there's this one guy I go to, he's telling me about his life, and he, his, his wife, uh, they got married, of course, it's his wife, right? I have to say that, but so he, his wife is, they've got a little, they've got a little, like, two-year-old boy, and I, I'm like, how's it going? And he's like, well, you know, I was like, I dig a little, how, how's it going? And he's like, my wife is leaving me. She doesn't, she doesn't want anything. She's trying to take my son away from me. She doesn't want me to have it. She's, she's leaving me, right? And, uh, and he tells me a little bit more, and he's, you know, he started, started out their marriage. He had the resources. She wasn't a citizen even, and so maybe part of the marriage was a, was a green card marriage. I don't know. Not from his perspective, but maybe from hers. I don't know. But so he, he just feels like, you know, I, I gave her everything. I gave her all of my love, all of my devotion, and now we're a few years into this marriage, She's the one with a nice job. I'm barely making ends meet, and she's heading off. and doesn't want anything to do with me. He feels like he's being abandoned, right? Now, what am I going to say to this guy? Am I going to say, reconcile? Well, maybe. Maybe if she wants to come, maybe there's still time for reconciliation. I, I might say, you know, can you go to marriage counseling? But she just, gone. What if she goes out, again, what if they, they get back together? And then she goes out, and she cheats on him, and she cheats on him. And then they get back together, and she cheats on And there's a point, it doesn't even take, take far to get to the point, where you just say, you're done. The, the marriage is clearly over. She has proven again and again and again, she's a treacherous woman who doesn't care for you at all. Don't have her back. It's just wisdom, right? And yet God is in this situation, and God isn't just saying, I guess I'll have you back. If you come and you plead with me, Israel, I guess, maybe, we'll see. I don't know if, we'll have, if, if I'll take you back. We'll talk about it. The call in this is a call to Israel four times we see in the passage. Please, please come back. Please just acknowledge your guilt and come back. God is portrayed as a husband pleading with a wayward wife 
who has proven her unfaithfulness again and again and again to come back. That's a radical love. I'd even say that's a reckless love, right? Isn't that reckless? That from a, just from a, a relational, emotional perspective. I understand God's sovereign over all things, but God is presented here in Jeremiah in a relational way, acting in a, if a human did this, you'd say that's reckless. Give up already. But God says, no, come back. I'm calling you again and again and again. Come back. We see this all over Scripture. Right? Jesus tells a story, of course, of the, of the sheep. Right? We've got the same kind of love of the, the, the shepherd's got the 99 sheep. That's pretty much all we need. Right? But there's one more out there. And the shepherd goes and pursues. Or, of course, of the, of the prodigal son. Right? Of the father waiting, looking, watching for that son to return. You see, it's not just... It's not just that God calls, come and return. It's that God pursues us. God even pursues us, and we see that in Jesus. Jesus coming, what, what a kind of radical love that is, that Jesus would come, that God would send his son, that Jesus would come and he would die on the cross for our sins. What a self-giving, what a self-sacrificing for a world that has rejected him, for us who have rejected him again and again and again. Do you see, are, you, are we captured at all? By the radical nature of God's love? It's incredible. It's good news, isn't it? God loves us so much. No matter how far we've gone, no matter how many times we've rejected God, God is still pursuing us. God is still pursuing you. And he's calling you to return. All right, point number two. Because of his love, he calls us to return. Because of his love, he calls us to return. Again, he is adamant in this return. Four times in chapter 3 and in the first verse of chapter 4, there is a call to return. Let's jump down to verse 19. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. Again, Jeremiah is describing this in, in a relational way. And, and we see here, God is saying, I wish, I wish that I, would get, I could give you this land. I wish that I could give you this inheritance. The New Testament says that God is not willing that any should perish. God pursues, he longs. There's a compassionate heart of God. Moving on to verse 22. Jumping down to verse 22, it says this. Uh, return faithless people. I will cure your backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Now, in this little section here, in 22 through the end of, uh, or through 25, Jeremiah is kind of doing a repeat after me here. Uh, imagine, right, um, we're having, a, having an altar call or something, right? And, and you say, if you want to pray to accept Jesus, repeat these words after me, right? And the leader can sort of lead people. And these are the words that you say if you want to return to God. That's kind of what Jeremiah is doing here a little bit. I think he's putting the words in their mouth so that as they read this, as they think this, they'll get into that right frame of mind. So here's what he wants them to do. And this is what he wants them to say. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely this, the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labors. Their flock, flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our ancestors. From our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. 
Let's just jump back real quick to the verse 24. I want us to see that, look what they're saying. They're saying, from our youth, shameful gods have consumed. Have consumed. You see, because God loves us, he wants to save us from destruction. And there's two kinds of destruction that we're going to see in this. The first is a self-destruction, the self-destruction of idolatry. And the second is the destruction that comes from the wrath of God. And here in this one, we see the destruction that comes from idolatry. You see, idolatry, sin, is destructive. It promises something. It promises it's going to give you something, but it doesn't actually give it. It takes. It says, it says give me, give me, give me, but it never gives back. And here we have these idols. What have these idols done? They, they actually have displayed a kind of power. Not in bringing Israel rain, not in bringing them security, but the power that, it, that they have played is in consumption. It has consumed the fruits of our ancestors, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. You see, when we set up an idol apart from God, we sacrifice to it. They, that's what they, they sacrifice to it. They said, we're going to take our fruits and our crops and we're going to lay before this piece of wood and stone. And then they went even so far in the apex of their sin to say, we're going to take our sons and our daughters. And we're going to lay them before the altar. They sacrificed their own kids. Why? Because they thought this piece of wood or stone, they thought it could somehow save them. Do you see how their idolatry was so self-destructive? And our sin plays the same part in our lives. We sacrifice to it. Oh, I'm going to do this, and it's going to bring me happiness. I'm going to do this, and it's going to bring me security. I'm going to do this, and it's, it's, it's going to make me happy. And it's self-destructive. And God wants to save us from that self-destructive nature of our own sin. But he also wants to save us from his wrath. Jumping down to chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what God says. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire, because the evil you have done with no one to quench it. You see, God is a just, and he's a holy God. And we, we've already seen just how radical and, and self-giving and crazy God's love is for us. And God longs for us to return. And so because of that, he's, got, he's patient. And he, he, he brings his patience to draw us to repentance. His patience is supposed to draw us to repentance. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. But, but, and so God holds back. But God does not and will not hold back forever. In his holiness and his justice, he can't. It would be a violation of his character. It would be a violation of his word. God will not hold back forever. And so he brings judgment on sin. For all the evil you have done, he says. For all your wayward wanderings, for all your prostitution, for, all the, for the sacrificing of your children to idols, a judgment is going to come. And God wants to save us from that. How does he save us from that? Again, through repentance. So you see, God's call to repent, God's call to come back to him is a call of love. He doesn't do it because he's a mean jerk and he just, you know, wants you to act in a certain way or whatever. He does it because it is, it is salvation for us. All right. Point number three. If we return, God will save and restore. If we return, God will save and restore. Now, I, I read earlier in, uh, in, chapter, in verse 12, it said, Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer. And then it says, For I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. That word faithful in Hebrew, it's set up a distinction between faithless Israel, faithful God. That word faithful in Hebrew is the word chesed. Chesed. 
And chesed is a word that's translated uh, many different ways. I, I, I listened to uh, an interview with a guy who wrote a study on this, and I think he said like it was 50 or so times, the 50 or so different ways that this is a rich, rich Hebrew word. Here it's being translated faithful, otherwise uh, merciful. It's, it's a very common Hebrew word, but it's, it's used to describe God's covenant faithfulness. That is, his, his, his promise, his faithfulness to the relationship that he had established with Israel. So even though Israel is far, far, far away from God, God is always going to remain faithful. Chesed. He's, he's sticking with it. There's no getting away from him, okay? That's what is drawing him. And this, this character of God, this chesed of God, it, it has an action to it. When we return, this is what Jeremiah is saying, when you return, there's going to be an action. God is going to do some things. He's going to save, and he's going to restore. First of all, we see that he saves us he saves us from all the destructiveness of sin. And what we see in Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross is dying in our place for our sin. Jesus is taking the wrath of God upon us. He is drinking the cup of God's wrath on himself. And so that, that's one action. He saves us. He rescues us from the judgment of God. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross. And because of he does that, he forgives our sins. But then the second thing I want us to see is that he restores. Look at verse 14. Return, faithless people declares the Lord, for I am your husband, and I will choose you one from a town and two from a clan and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after uh, my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, it will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will any, another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the people of Judah will join the people of Israel, and together they will come from northern land to the land I, give, I gave your ancestors as an inheritance. Pause there for a second. I want us to see a few ways that they are restored. Primarily, I want us to see that they are restored. Israel is restored into the presence of God. So this is a call to the northern kingdom. Return, and you will be restored into my presence. And there's a few, there's a lot in that passage, but I, I want us to see how they all fit under that one theme of presence. If we just look back over it, what do we see? We see the shepherds. God says, I'll give you shepherds who are going to lead you in the right way. If we remember from chapter 2, it was, there was a, a strong charge against the leaders who led them astray. And now he says, I'm going to give you shepherds who are going to lead you in the right way. In other words, they're going, to, they're going to give you knowledge and understanding so that you can experience the presence of God. And then there is this, the promise of the land, return, I'll, I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back into the promised land. And then back into Jerusalem. Right? That's where God sort of made his presence especially known. And what's it going to be called? It's going to be called the throne of Yahweh the throne of the Lord, where God's presence resides. So I'm going to bring you back. You're going to come into the land where I've made my presence known. You're going to come to Jerusalem where my presence is, is really, it's, it shines forth so much that people say, it's the throne of Yahweh. It's the throne of Yahweh. You're coming back into my presence. And then the whole, there's the thing about the Ark of the Covenant. Isn't that kind of interesting? There's not going to be an Ark of the Covenant. Nobody's going to care. Why? Because once again, the covenant was a symbol of the presence of God. God is saying, when you come back to me and when you return, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be filling the land. My presence is going to be all the land. Nobody's going to care about the Ark of the Covenant anymore. My presence is going to be everywhere here. And then there's the, 
transformation of the heart. Where does that transformation of the heart come from? It comes only from the presence of God and then the unity of the people. No longer this split kingdom, but a secure kingdom. So if you return, this is, this is it. I'll give you all these things. And then there is uh, one more thing that he, he returns to them, or he restores to them, and that is their mission. He restores to them the purpose for their existence. Notice how he says um, that people are going to come. Right? The nations are going to come. Actually, we see this even more clear in verse, chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read this. If you, Israel, will return to me, then return to me, declares the Lord. If you put out your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, then what's going to happen? And if in a truthful and just and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. So there's a connection between repentance, returning to God, experiencing the presence of God, and what they were called to do. Remember the call to Abraham. I'm going to set you apart, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And through you and through your children, all the nations will be blessed. And once again, this is set up, right? Israel, return to me. Return to the people that I've called you to be. And what's going to happen? The nations are going to come and they're going to boast in the Lord when you return. It's a, it's a mission. It's a purpose, restoring their purpose for existence. Once again, going back to the gospel, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and he saves us through his death on the cross. And then he returns to heaven. What does he do? He sends his presence through the Holy Spirit into the believers. If you're a believer here, God's presence is with you right now. And God's presence as we are gathered together, God is present with us as we're gathered together in his name. And what does that presence do? It's transformative. It brings unity, all those things. And, and then it also sends us on mission. It says, you've got a purpose. And, and if you repent, if you return to me, all the nations will be blessed through you. There's a connection between repentance and our mission. So, final point here. What does this repentance look like? What does this return look like? And I think it looks like is that we need to repent or we need to return, not just with our words, but with our hearts. Return not just with your words, but with your hearts. You see, Israel was skilled at religious talk. Israel would go into the temple and they say, we're safe in the temple. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Or they'd go to God and, and in a time of trouble and they say, oh God, save me. Meanwhile, they're doing all the evil they can. Their repentance, their words were a lie. There was no transformation of the heart. There was no change. It, it was like magic words they thought they were saying that could get God on their side, right? Israel was skilled at deception. One of Jeremiah's strongest accusations against Israel is the lies, is their deception. And so he says, you need, there needs to be a true change. There needs to be a true repentance in your heart going on here. Again, let's look back at, we already read this, but we're going to read it again. Return, faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. First of all, I want us to see that there is a true recognition of God's character. Yes, we will return. Why? Because you are Yahweh. You are the true one, not these deceptive idols. So there's a true recognition of the character of God. Then it says in verse 23, Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and the mountains is a deception. What's this? This is a true recognition of Israel's guilt, of their folly, of the, of the foolishness and the folly of sin. 
There's all this action going up on the hills. It looks like there's all these interesting things going on with the idols, but it's just a deception. It's just a lie. It goes on, verse 24, From our youth shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labor, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. So there is a, there is a recognition, right? And so out of that recognition comes what? It comes a, a sorrow and a rejection of the old. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our ancestors. From our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. This is a, this is a godly sorrow that's intended to lead to repentance. It comes out of man. Man, I've messed up. I'll return to God. And I know who God is. So it's a, it's a rejection of the old and a loving embrace of who God is. Jump right down to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. If you, Israel, will return, then return to me, declares the Lord. If you put your detestables out of my sight, no longer go away. So again, reject, it, reject the old. And if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke a blessing by him, and in him they will both. So, so adopt the way of God. Adopting the way of God's truth, his justice, his righteousness. Speaking in a truth and just and, 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 and a right way. That's what he calls them to. There is an embrace of God and of God's way. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. There's a warning there at the end, isn't there? But also, see, before we get to that, just, just one step back, right? We've got this, we've got, what does is, what is Jer- Jeremiah want them to do? He wants them to break up the unplowed ground. He wants them to circumcise their hearts. Those are painful, even violent actions. If you've got a hard field and you're breaking it up, it's hard work to get that field ready. It's hard work to plow up that unplowed ground. Circumcision is painful, right? This is a, there, there's a painful process by which we need to put to death sin in our lives. You see, is this the call, is the call of the gospel to repent? I think it is. When the people, uh, when Peter was preaching at Pentecost and the people heard the words and Peter says, you You've, you've put to death the author of life. What does it say? It says the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Turn around. Turn around from your ways. Believe the good news. Paul says, uh, or uh, John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul says this, you have been crucified with Christ. That's the work that Christ has done in your life. That's, that's the Spirit doing that work in your life. But then he says, you who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So you crucified the flesh too. Now listen, we're talking about the gospel here. We're talking about the gospel. This is not workspace salvation. This is not, this is not I need to change so that God will accept me. That's not what we're talking about here. And this is, God is calling, God is pursuing, God is saying, come back to me. Only acknowledge your guilt. Right? But, but the, there's going to be necessarily a true turn, a true change is going to result 
in a change, in a true repentance in our hearts. That is the work of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. It cannot be any other way. And then when we go and we change and we, and we, we put to death sin in our lives, that is not just us acting. That is us acting, but it is the work of God acting in us. Paul says, I'm, I'm striving, I'm making every effort, but it's not me who's making this effort, it's God working in me. It's a mystery of God's grace. But we can't just say, well, it's a mystery, so it doesn't matter what I do. That's not how it works. God says, return to me, return with your whole heart, and it is God's grace in you that is making that work. It's God's actions. Working in our actions. So, our call for this morning is to return. Our call for this morning is to return. And I wonder what holds us back from repentance. Maybe we doubt that God is willing to have us back. Maybe we say, I don't know if God really wants me back. I've done a lot of bad things. To that I'd say, I want you to be captured by the radical nature of God's love. Which is God will, God will, if, you, if, there, if there is a desire in your heart to come back into the presence of God, to put aside your alienation, your sense of exile away from God, that is the Spirit working in you, and God is calling you back. And, and, and don't just say, God won't have me back, because he will. Again, think about the prodigal son. Look at this verse. Uh, the prodigal goes out, and he, he's, eaten the, he's just eaten the slop of the pigs, and he's like, my father's not going to have me back. But look at the father's heart. The prodigal son gets up, and he goes to his father, but what, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father's arms, we sang it this morning, the father's arms are open wide. Return. And then the father runs out to the son. God wants you to come back to him, wherever you are. I don't know where all of you are at, but maybe for some of you that's the case. God wants to have you back. Or maybe we think, you know, our sin, our idolatry is no big deal. So what does it matter? And the answer to that is, it's self-destructive. Our sin and our idolatry is self-destructive, both because our sin consumes us, it's our own punishment, and because God is just, and he brings judgment on sin. And if we, if we wait, that is going to be poured out with no one to quench it. So don't think it doesn't matter. It's repulsive. But God loves, and he calls you to return. And then maybe we think it won't make a difference, and I want you to know it will. Repentance is the doorway to the presence of God. Our, our best life, in a true biblical sense, is found in the presence of God. Our true best life is in the presence. That's where we are truly, totally fulfilled, is in the presence of God. And repentance is the doorway to that presence. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And, and if we let him in, he's going to wreck some things in our lives. Right? He's going to kick out the idols. He doesn't want them there. But his presence transforms us. We've got the evangelism thing training coming up, right? And I, I'm just going to give you guys, I don't, this is probably not part of the training, but I'm going to give you a, a, a step one here for evangelism, for being on our mission, right? And it's this. Repent. Turn to God. That's step one. God says, if you do this, right, then, then the nations are going to boast in you. And I'd actually challenge you this week. If you're one, one step out of this. Maybe you need to make a definitive decision right now today. Do that, right? But one other thing you could do, as I just say, start every day this morning with confession of sin and repentance. Try it. 
See if, see if, it, see if, you, if you have a new understanding of the sense of God's presence in your life. And let that be a thing that prepares you for mission and sets you off into mission. All right? So God, God wants you back. Your sin is a big deal. But he calls you anyway because he's faithful and it leads you into a full experience of the presence of God and all that that entails. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your grace and compassion to us, Lord. It's not, this is just, this is not us doing things to earn your favor. You already love us. You already pursue us. You're already calling us again and again and again. It is the heartbeat of your life to call us to receive your grace. And we receive your grace when we turn to you and we acknowledge our guilt and we come to you as the author of our life and, our, and as the savior of our souls. If there's one here today that needs to turn and repent and change for the first time, may they do that today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for a final song. Well, to my fellow repenters, this is, a, this is a church God has called his people to receive grace and extend grace. And, he, and we receive grace when we come to him in, in faith. And we come to him in repentance. And we confess our sins. That's a, that's a way that we are receiving God's grace. And then we get the opportunity then to extend it out. Right? That same mercy we've received, we extend out to others. So thank you guys so much for coming. Um, invite you to stay for a coffee and cookie time and, and our Bible fellowship groups to follow your dismissed. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship. We hope and pray that it strengthened your faith and pointed you to Jesus. We want you to know, too, that we grow in our faith not just through listening to sermons, but by becoming part of a local church. If you're not part of a local church, we pray that you'll visit one soon. And if you're in the Grand Rapids or Wyoming area, we want to invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 930 for worship. May God bless you.